0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Beach House 34 podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth. Before we begin today, there's a couple of things that I want to make you aware of regarding this episode. First, out of respect for the surviving victims, I will not be referring to them by name. They are simply referred to as the 13-year-old and the 2-year-old. Second, you will hear portions of a 911 call that may be very disturbing for some of you. Caution is strongly advised. And lastly, this episode is intended for mature audiences only. The Bever family lived in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. They were a fairly large family. There were nine people in total in their family. Um, Their mom, April, who was 44, and their dad, David, who was 52. They also had seven children, three girls, one who was two years old, five-year-old Victoria, and a 13-year-old sister. They had four boys. Christopher, age 7, 12-year-old Daniel, 16-year-old Michael, and 18-year-old Robert. Now, the Bevers, they considered themselves a Christian family and didn't believe that their children should be raised in public schools. So, all of the children were homeschooled. The parents also made it a habit of telling their kids how scary the real world was. And so the kids never really went out very much. No one could really ascertain as to why the parents felt this way. The children were to live by the Bible and pretty much stay amongst themselves. Now, because of this, the children really had no outside friends Robert, the oldest, um, had said later in an interview that his parents would often talk about people they hated and would refer to the biblical apocalypse as, quote, a retribution thing for everything they hated about the world. In 2014, the 13 year old sister overheard her oldest brothers, Michael, remember he's 16 and Robert is 18, talking about wanting to kill their family and steal their money. They both admired mass shooters and they wished that more of these mass shooters were actually able to get away with their crimes. Both of the brothers believed that there were too many people in the world and they wanted to head out and kill random people across the country And the reason they wanted to do this was because they wanted to gain fame as serial killers. Now it should be noted that although the children really didn't have any outside contact per se, um, at least from what we could learn, they did have internet access. Even one of them, uh, as we'll find out later, had a YouTube channel. Now their sister, she didn't know if this was just a joke Or not. So, what she did is she went, she told her mom about it. And her mom said that it was a boy being boys thing. Now, Robert, because he's 18, uh, he actually has a job outside the house. And he, in fact, worked for a Christian call center. So, he had his own separate income. And because he had his own access to funds, He used this money to purchase knives and body armor from places like eBay. And it was not unusual to see Robert wearing this body armor around the house, just randomly. What no one but Robert and Michael knew was that not only had Robert purchased knives and body armor, but he had also bought two pistols, a shotgun, and 2,000 rounds of ammunition. Now, the guns had to be delivered to a local gun shop because he was only 18 and he had to be 21 to pick them up, but the rounds of ammunition could definitely be delivered to the house. About a year later, a year after this incident, at around 1130 p.m. on the evening of July 22nd, 2015, April, Mom April, told the 13-year-old sister to go and tell her brothers to do the dishes before they went to bed. Uh, Michael and Robert, they shared a room. And so she headed there to relay the message from their mom. As she got to their room, she found her brothers putting on body armor and they also had several knives out on the bed. Now, of course, this wasn't unusual to her. She already knew that they owned these things. Remember a full year ago, she had gone to her mom and told her about this. And it wasn't strange to see. Robert especially wearing body armor throughout the house. She told them that they had to do the dishes before they went to bed. Michael then turned to Robert and asked, should we do it right now? And Robert replied with yes. So what Michael did is he told his sister to come and look at something on his computer. As she walked over and stood in front of the screen, Robert then came up from behind her, covered her mouth, and slit her throat. When she didn't die immediately, Robert then began stabbing her, and she began to fight back. She screamed for her mom and then was able to get away from Robert when her mom came into the room. She then ran to go tell her sister to hide as Michael tried to chase her down. In the meantime, with April, their mom now in the room, Robert began attacking her. She was later found with approximately 48 stab wounds. When Michael came back to the bedroom, Robert asked him where everybody else was. And he said that his younger brother and sister, seven-year-old Christopher and five-year-old Victoria, they'd gone to hide in a bathroom and they had locked themselves inside. So Michael then headed to the bathroom and knocked on the door. He said, let me in, he's gonna kill me. One of the children opened the door and Michael stepped in and stabbed both of them to death. Seven year old Christopher had 21 stab wounds with several defensive wounds. Five year old Victoria had 23 stab wounds and she too had tried to fight back. The 13 year old sister who had her throat cut and had been stabbed repeatedly, she ran to the front door and opened it, hoping that it would set off the house alarm. She got as far as the lawn where she passed out. In the meantime, one of the younger brothers, Daniel, who was 12, had locked himself inside his dad's office, and he had found a cell phone where he smartly dialed 911. The 911 call came in at 1133 PM 9-1-1. Broken Air 911. Broken Air nine one one. Hello? Hi, where are you at? Broken out Oklahoma, Seven four one one. What address? Seven oh nine Magnolia. Seven Okay. Are you the only one there? No, my brother's attacking my family. Your dad is attacking your family? No, my brother. Oh, he has an idea. people Okay, who's attacking your family? What? Uh, who's attacking your family? Yes. Who? Who is it? Do they? I are you there hello hi what's going on there what's going on there hello hello was a knock at the office door. Again, Michael pretended to be scared and said that Robert was going to kill him and to please let him in. So Daniel opened the door. Now, Daniel, during this time, he's still on the phone with 911. In the call, you can hear some noise in the background, although it's difficult to tell what it is. You can, however, make out Daniel saying, no, Michael, no. You also hear in the 911 call, someone get on the phone and say, hello. Who you are hearing is Michael saying hello, because he did not know at the time who Daniel had called. When the operator asked if everything was okay, Michael took the phone to the kitchen and smashed it. Daniel was later found with 21 stab wounds. David, their father, heard all of this commotion going on, and came out of his room. As he did, Robert stabbed him repeatedly. He was later found to have been stabbed over 28 times. In the meantime, Michael ran to find out what happened to his 13-year-old sister. He found her outside on the lawn, still unconscious, so he picked her up and drug her back into the house. The youngest sister in the family, the 2-year-old, She was still safely asleep upstairs in her crib and completely unharmed. But as we'll find out later, this was not supposed to happen. This is when the boys decided to run out the back door to a dry creek bed and hide. When officers arrive at the scene, they first notice a blood trail leading from the front door down to the lawn. They could also hear a young girl asking for help just beyond the closed and locked front door. When they realized they can't get inside, they knocked down the door and just inside was a 13-year-old girl lying on the floor. Her throat had been cut and she had been stabbed multiple times, so much that her internal organs were protruding out of her abdomen. When first responders got there, they thought, you know, she's near death. They immediately transport her to the hospital, and then the officers finally walk inside the home. After entering, they see blood everywhere. It's all over the walls. It's all over the furniture. The kitchen alone was just covered in blood. After learning how many people resided in the house, the officers realize that two brothers, 18-year-old Robert and 16-year-old Michael, were missing. As they go through the house, they realize that a door at the back of the house is just slightly ajar, and this door leads back into a wooded area. So they decide that the best course of action would be to call in a canine officer to track the suspects. The dog, once there, immediately heads towards the woods and down a hill, and it's only about 300 yards away from the house that they find Michael and Robert. Now, Robert, he surrenders immediately. Michael, on the other hand, he's trying to stay hidden in the brush, and the police can see him, and he begins to make what they refer to as, quote, erratic hand gestures, which begin to concern the officers. At this point, they decide to release the dog, who goes and grabs Michael, bites him on one shoulder, and drags him out of the brush, where he is then arrested. As soon as they are both in custody, the police immediately take photos. Michael's gray cargo pants are covered in large red splotches. His t-shirt is torn so much that it's only being held together by the collar, And is completely falling off of one side of his body. Now, this is no doubt due to the dog dragging him out of the brush. His right shoulder has at least five deep gashes where he was bitten by the canine and his face is very, very dirty. His hands and several portions of his exposed body have blood all over them. Robert is wearing a black t-shirt and his face is covered in blood and dirt. His dark hair appears matted to his head. Now, this is either from sweat or blood. One of the photos of Robert shows him with his shirt being lifted up and him wearing a white tactical vest underneath. There is blood all over the vest, which appears to have soaked through from his shirt. Robert, the entire time, has a smirk on his face. Turning to his brother, Robert says, quote, It's been a pleasure. I'm proud of what I've done. Now Back within the house, police discover knives, swords, machetes, cell phones, gloves, darts, a black mask, and a protective, uh, a set of protective Kevlar sleeves. They also locate several video cameras throughout the home and believed that the brothers had actually set up these cameras. After Michael is cleaned up and looked over by first responders, He is then taken in to be interrogated. While Michael is being questioned by the detective, he actually begins to open up. And he says, quote, about like two months ago is when we first really started talking about murder and rampage and stuff like that. I didn't take it seriously at first, but then Robert started buying like body armor and stuff. Then basically he just kept escalating. And I started to realize we were actually going to do this. I didn't, um, just to be clear, I didn't kill anyone. I couldn't do it. So I was just going to let him like kill everyone. Now, Michael did tell the officers that Robert was the one who had stabbed their 13 year old sister. But he further said it was him who had drug her back inside the house and locked the door. So this explained the blood trail that the officers noticed leading from the front door. Michael said that she was still screaming as he drug her back into the house. He further admitted that he went to the door where Daniel was hiding, Daniel being the 12-year-old brother, and knocked and lied to Daniel so that Daniel would let him in. The detective asked him what they were going to do once they were all done at the house. Michael said that they were going to hang out there for at least a day and leave the bodies in a room or up in the attic. Then they were going to clean up and wait for the ammunition for the guns they had ordered, and then they were going to leave the next day. And it was later learned that that 2000 rounds of ammunition were in fact delivered to the home the following day. The detective wanted to know what their plans were for killing others. At one point during the interview, Michael had mentioned Columbine and mentioned the fact that he felt that they were sort of heroes to him and Robert. The detective wanted to know if they had a goal you know, a number of people in mind that they wanted to kill. Michael said that Robert wanted to kill like 50 people, random people at like gas stations and restaurants. He said their goal was for each of them to shoot someone at random and then just move on to the next location because they felt they'd become more famous doing it that way instead of just killing a bunch of people all at once, just one time the detective asked why, why did Robert want to do this? Michael said that Robert believes that society is pointless and that he needs to kill people. Also, he, quote, wanted to like beat, beat the kill, like the amount of other famous people. Now, during the time that Michael's being interviewed, Robert is being questioned in another room. And according to detectives, Robert, he's showing no remorse, zero remorse. He was more than happy to talk about everything that he and Michael did. According to the officer that was interviewing Robert, he said that Robert was, quote, laughing or chuckling on several occasions. He appeared to be laid back and mildly excited to tell the story. Robert and his brother had actually planned to cut up the victim's bodies and store them in tubs in the attic and then clean up the house. He said they had planned to kill their entire family, including their two-year-old sister, by cutting her head off with an axe. The reason Robert gave for this was that what he and Michael wouldn't be able to take care of her on their own, and then they wouldn't be able to go out and do what they wanted to do. They had to be sure that everyone was dead. And those video cameras, they had both planned to make two videos one with the bodies for police and one without bodies and blood that could be released to the public. Now, once this was all done, they were going to then take the family car, pick up the guns at the gun shop, and drive out of state to areas that had a lot of people. They would then, like Michael said, kill random people, but ideally their plan was to kill five people per location and then move on to other locations. Robert admired serial killers and mass shooters, and he believed that killing more than one person would make him godlike and that he didn't think that killing was a bad thing. He'd always thought about doing it. The two brothers had originally planned to carry out this attack on the family in September, but for some reason instead chose to do it in July. Uh, During the questioning, Robert laughed and chuckled a lot while telling the story. Robert, over the previous months, had kept a journal, and this journal had 11 different chapters. Some of these chapters would reference what it was that they wanted to do. Now, the very last sentence of the very last chapter of the journal said, we're going to kill them tonight at midnight. He said he picked midnight because of a line in a movie. As Robert continued to talk with detectives, he said his parents beat him when he was 13, and he remembered thinking at the time that he wished they were dead. His dad had dragged him up the stairs once because he left a light on, and his mother slapped him so hard it had left a mark on his face. He believed his parents kept having kids for the tax benefit, not because they really wanted them. Once the 13-year-old sister had received the care that she needed and could communicate with investigators, detectives interviewed her. She couldn't speak, so what she had to do was she had to write out her answers. She said, quote, my brothers did this to me. She further said that she had been approached by Michael about a year or so before the attacks and asked if she wanted to participate. She, of course, said no, and she then went to her parents with this information. She told them that she was concerned about what her brothers were doing. Her parents didn't take her seriously. Her father was only mad that the boys were wasting their money. She did say that when her dad was angry, he would throw the kids across the room. And she does remember hearing her parents talk about being too rough on Robert and Michael when they were younger. One fight she witnessed between her mom and dad was so bad that her dad threw her mom and her mom hit her head on a wall. She said that the night of the attacks she had gone into their room to tell them that they had to do the dishes before they went to bed, but they wanted her to look at what was on Michael's computer screen. She then relayed what had happened to her, how Robert had come up behind her and cut her throat. She said she tried to find a cell phone to call, to call 911 before opening the door. Uh, She woke up After passing out on the front lawn, she woke up to Michael dragging her back into the house as she heard her younger brothers screaming. The next thing that she remembers is that a police officer was banging on the door. He then broke in and carried her out of the house. Now, obviously, at this time, uh, both of the boys, Robert and Michael, they are in custody and in jail. And the trials for the two don't take place until... 2016. Now, Robert, who remember was 18 at the time of the killings, um, he pled guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And this happened in 2016. Michael, however, pled not guilty and his case did go to trial. Now, while Michael was in jail before trial, he decides to create his own journal, and his journal is all done in crayon. And at first, it looks very childish. But then I got to thinking about it. And I thought, you know, I don't know if the reason it's done in crayon is because items such as pencils or pens could be used as weapons. And so all that they provided him with were crayons. Um, so that was my first thought. But nonetheless, in this journal, there are several pictures of how he depicts death, and it seems a little odd to me, but many of them, there is a shark appearing just about ready to eat people while they're in front of a burning building or, you know, on a ship or just standing on a sidewalk. Uh, there is one page where he has written, quote, Jim Jones, my hero. Uh, one page says, Hail Satan. Another picture is he and his brother surrounded by five dead bodies. And the last page of his journal says, quote, "Once upon a time, there were brothers named Michael and Robert. They hated their family, so they killed them. The end. So Michael goes to trial in early 2016 and the thirteen year old sister, she does testify against her brother. However, she doesn't want to be in the same room with him. And, you know, who can blame her? So, a separate courtroom was set up where she could answer questions via video feed. During Michael's trial, a licensed clinical psychologist uh, testified that while Michael was at the Tulsa County Jail, she had conducted a neuropsychological evaluation on him. She testified that he had an IQ of 85, which, according to the doctor, was a was in the low average intelligence range. She further testified that his intellectual dysfunction could be the result of traumatic brain injury or a birth defect. But nonetheless, Michael is ultimately found guilty and sentenced to five consecutive life terms. Now, if you remember earlier, I had mentioned something about a YouTube video. Before all of this happened, Robert Bever had created a handful, and I mean, maybe four, uh, very short YouTube videos on his channel, Cult Empire Official. And you can actually still view these today. I have a link on the beachhouse34.com website for you. What I found so astonishing was that if you didn't know the backstory of what would eventually happen with these boys, they just look like your typical teenagers creating videos uh, for the first time. And in the first video entitled "Random Film by Colt Empire," you see Robert and his brother in a room and they're looking at a laptop. And it's eerie. it's so eerie to think that this may be the same location and the same placement of the computer as on the day when Robert cut his 13-year-old sister's throat just two years later. Now, a year after the trial in 2017, the Bever house, which had been vacant since uh, since the murders, it was destroyed by fire um, a neighbor said that she was used to curiosity and vandalism around the house. Quote, they try to, th- to take things, pieces of wood from the side and stuff like that. She also said a total of three people wandered around the house overnight, coming and going and spending time in the backyard. Quote, that's when I looked at the back of the house and saw the smoke and got ready to call the police. With the house destroyed, several extended family members agreed to erect a memorial park in place of where the Bever home once stood. It is called Broken Arrow Reflection Park. The two surviving girls, they were thankfully adopted by the same family and are now thriving. So at least there's some bit of good news to this story. A little bit, just a little bit, but some. You so much for listening. To view all of the resources for this episode, along with photos of Robert and Michael's arrest, uh, photos of the house and of the Reflection Park, uh, please visit beachhouse34.com. And to keep up to date on all of the upcoming episodes, follow Beach House 34 podcast on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. You are fully and totally appreciated.